This podcast is brought to you by Datomics. There are nearly 100 data providers in your DSP, but only Datomics can enable marketers to target audiences in cookie-less environments with scale and accuracy. Discover how to reach inventory that your competitors are missing. Learn more about our game-changing technology at datomics.com slash cookie-less. That's D-A-T-O-N-I-C-S dot com slash cookie-less. Welcome to the Architecture Podcast. I'm Ari Paparo. I'm dialing in from sunny Las Vegas at CES. I am joined here by my always fun co-host, Eric Franchi. How are you doing, Eric? I'm doing well. I might be doing better than you. I stayed back. Yeah, you avoided CES. How's that possible? You become an investor sure. and you no longer have to stay out late at the Chandelier Bar? Uh, thankfully, I've got representation with uh, with Joe. Hopefully, you ran into him. I, I didn't see Joe. People, there were sightings of Joe. Um, people would say, oh, did you see Joe? I saw Joe. He was hanging out. But I, there were, I didn't actually see him. You spend yeah, most um, of your time here basically meeting with people who live in New York or the New York area. So it's pretty silly. Right, right, right. Um, ben, and, I, and I get I mean, you know, So actually, that's an interesting way to start the conversation. Was it productive? What, what did you do? Yeah, um, I had a very unstructured CBS. I had very few meetings. I had really no reason to be here. I'm not selling anything. I mean, maybe I could sell a couple of ads on Architecture Podcast, but I'm not really selling anything. So it was um, it was strange. I just wandered around. I would meet someone I knew every five minutes, I'd say, and have like an impromptu meeting, catch up. What are you doing? So that was kind of fun. Like I said, most of these people live in the New York area. I have a hit rate of maybe 60% of the conversations that I have with people are people who I could actually remember their names and who they are. The other 40%, I had meaningful conversations <laughs> with what you might call an anonymous browser. So someone who clearly knew who I was, but for whom my I was able to maybe narrow it down. I think they were in the video business, maybe in sales, but no clue who they actually are. So if you were one of those people and I gave you a look like, hey, man, nice to see you. How are things? Feel free to follow up on LinkedIn. I will be happy to respond. Um, so last um, night, our friend of the pod, AdTech God, threw a um, happy hour. And now, he's an anonymous person. People don't know who he is. So he threw a happy hour, but he's not allowed to attend. Or maybe he did attend. Nobody knows. But what he did was he hired an Elvis impersonator <laughs> who had a big sign that said, ask me if I'm AdTech God, which was, you know, kind of funny. I put a picture of that on Twitter. One of the stranger things is that this Elvis impersonator, I don't think he knew this, was approximately seven feet tall. So there was a giant Elvis impersonator. I'm not sure if that was part of the gig or if that was just a coincidence. Uh, but anyway, uh, that was fun. So you don't know if Ad Tech God was there or not, huh? Well, I do. Uh, I, I have the keys to the castle, but you know. <laughs> Got it. So what, what was, um? give me the vibe check. What were people talking about? What were the big topics? Yeah, I think people are pretty enthusiastic going into 2024. Business is good. People are 2023 wasn't fantastic for a lot of folks in the media side of things, but it wasn't a disaster. And so looking at 2024, people are raring to go. Political year, um, anticipation that the ad business will be relatively strong. There's obviously a lot of uncertainty in the market around Google and around a lot of other things, but it's a lot of business as usual. I think that's just the natural reaction of people. You know when they uh, are in when it's not obvious things are going to change, and I think in a sense, 
people are underestimating the amount of change that's about to happen or they're not reacting strongly enough to it. Um, so that was my reaction to their complacency was, wow, you're not really talking about AI and you're not really talking about cooking deletion in the sandbox in the way I would talk about it if I was an operator today, which is, you know, borderline panic. Yeah, that makes sense. You had a, as far as ad tech tweets go, a semi-viral tweet when you first got there, which was, uh, it was like the, the Drake meme where, you know, IP addresses out, household ID is, is in. So you can, yeah. can, can you tell us about that? Yeah, I had, I had someone pitch me this on, um, at the Aria Lobby bar. I was talking about Sandbox. I, I'm kind of a broken record. I want to talk to everyone about Sandbox. No one wants to talk to me about Sandbox. And uh, so I was talking about Sandbox, and the reaction was, well, we use household ID, so it won't affect us. And I obviously had a follow-up question, which is, what exactly is a household ID? And hamana, hamana, hamana. Right. Uh, yeah, you know, we signals from the browser. We consistently see these. I'm like, you're talking about an IP address. And lo and behold, yes, you're talking about an IP address. And I think it's funny because it's true that the entire ad tech ecosystem outside of Google is basically going to try to steamroll right through cookie deletion and use IP addresses. And that is a very dangerous pattern because IP addresses, first of all, have questionable regulatory approval uh, or regulatory acceptance. And secondly, maybe going away on a slightly longer time frame than cookies. And, and this brings up kind of my other point that I referenced a moment ago, which is that people are just in absolute denial or lack of preparedness about the Chrome sandbox and about the direct deletion of cookies. And I, what I would speak to folks who are, you know, maybe a little bit more on the sales side, but still executives about um, the sandbox, the answer was almost entirely like, I, I barely looked into it. I, I, oh, yeah, that's interesting. I'm wondering how my data will work. Well, the answer is it just won't. Your data won't work. And so um, I'm kind of a little bit surprised. So you think that there's a potential, you know, shit going to hit the fan moment come end of year when, when the uh, the percentages really start adding up? It may. It may. And um, I think that the number of companies that will embrace the the way Google sees the world as moving to these new browser-based technologies is very low. Uh, I think that there'll be some, but it's not going to be most. People are going to try to skate through with the mixture of hashed emails, UID2, IP address, and whatever hook and crook that they can. That seems to be the pattern that's happening. Paul Bannister, uh, who's been on the pod before, he had a, a, another tweet that, that went, um, I think, deservedly um, you know, pretty, pretty viral, which was, you know, week, week one, after 1% of uh, cookies going away, here's, here's what we're seeing. And his takeaway was, it's not that disastrous, um, right. with a lot of like qual- a lot of qualifiers. He said that uh, there was a thirty percent RPM reduction, revenue per page or revenue per uh, thousand, a reduction, and that that was less than expected uh, vis-a-vis previous experiments with Safari that are closer to sixty percent. And I, I think that's interesting, but it's really a moving target because it's a marketplace. So if you go from 1% to 100%, the behavior of the buyers will change. And uh, and it's very unclear how it will all shake out. There probably are many buyers who in their DSP just say Chrome only. And so you're still getting Chrome even if you don't have a cookie. And there's a lot of other factors. So it's an interesting first data point. It's great that Paul publishes what he's finding because he's 
one of the few people who's really engaging on this topic, but I think it's not really something definitive or something we can count on at this time. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And you're right. It's like, it's not 60, it's not 70, but 30 on a big, you know, open web ad business, if it's 30% on a hundred million dollars, something like that, that's still, I mean, like really bad. That's still, you're, (laughs) you're making real changes. Yeah, yeah, it's really bad. Yeah. 30, 30 would be really bad. Um, I think also another sub point he made that I, that I think is interesting that folds into the IP address conversation is that Google's demand, meaning the ad exchange demand going to the publisher, was worse affected than pre-bid demands from other SSPs. And this is probably because the other SSPs are more likely to be using other signals like IP address, hashed email, probabilistic IDs like ID5, etc. Uh, whereas Google playing it very conservatively on the legal and regulatory side and isn't willing to do anything besides what's allowed strictly in their uh, in their browser implementation. Right. What were the other topics that people were talking about? So streaming CTV, retail media, AI. What, what's what's so everybody uh, talking you, about? You, you got the poker hand there. Uh, <laughs> I think that. Um, Streaming TV is where everyone's making money and everyone's excited about it. And there's more and more, uh, more companies starting, more innovation going on there. Everyone wants a piece of that pie. I think that, and this goes to news of the week that, um, there was a lot of whispering and talking about video amp and what happened there. So we're kind of bleeding into news of the week, but I'll bring it up, which was almost immediately after our year end episode where we were trying to talk about the best companies, small and large. I raised my hand and said the best private large ad tech company was VideoApp. Uh, and they had just done a big raise. And then not a week later, layoffs. Ross McCray, the CEO, is out. Josh Chase, the head of measurement, out. And people are trying to figure out what happened there because VideoApp is definitely on an interesting strategic course. They raised a lot of money. And there's a sort of a worry that this, uh, sort of like the Ukraine war, which is like it might be, it might take a lot longer and be a lot more expensive to take out Nielsen than they thought. Uh, so <laughs> I think that, uh, and what's going to be the secondary effects on other TV-oriented companies that this audience war, the jick, and everything that we've covered on the show before may be a very long, hard struggle that's very expensive. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, and you know, never want to make light of uh, you know layoffs and everything like that, but. I do think it's interesting that your pick was the first company to have, you know, a significant negative announcement weeks later. Um, this may be, uh, this hopefully will not be the, the next like <laughs> athlete on the cover of Madden or, or founder on the, on, on the cover of Forbes. Yeah. I don't want to be the Jim Cramer of ad tech. Yeah, that, that is not my goal here. Definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. What about, what about retail media and AI? Anything, anything interesting you discovered? On AI, I think. It reminds me a little bit of the cookie conversation, which is that everyone's aware of it, everyone's talking about it, but I don't think they're taking it seriously enough. And you're a big believer in AI, a big advocate. Uh, And I think AI is going to be extremely transformative to a lot of businesses and not just as a feature, not just as a, you know, creative, creative development feature or optimization feature. I think it could fundamentally change parts of our advertising stack. And I don't see that ambition. Maybe the startups are doing it, and they're not the people, the the establishment that I hang out with. Uh, but I, I'm hearing a lot of small bore conversations about AI. What about what are you hearing as an yeah. investor? 
Yeah. Um, that's, it's like so like fascinating and maddening at the same time. Um, I, I'm steeped in the opposite, right? Which is seed and pre-seed companies that are going for it and that are like deep into, into building the technology. And my sense, it's interesting, you know, as a person that's, you know, in, in New York, like watching the stream and, and looking at it, it's like a lot of conversations about what will be a lot of conversations and pontificating, but not a lot of doing. Um, one thing that happened yesterday was they released the uh, the GPT store. People have been developing GPTs now for for some time. There's something like three million GPTs that have been built on top of OpenAI. So I spent a fair amount of my time, you know, thanks to the you know the the, the lower volume of of email and, and meetings with all you <laughs> all you folks um, in Vegas, just um just hacking away on the GPT store. And using the Canva GPT and using some of these other GPTs, because I think it's important to understand this stuff, number one, as an investor, and then number two, to really get a sense for what you can replace, like to use, right. you know, probably one of a, one of a better word um, with, with some of this, this technology. And, you know, you've been saying a couple of times how you think that people don't appreciate just how disruptive this might be to technology stacks and the way people work and to build Wise's point last week, like, you know, how many people are involved? Like it's it's pretty wild. So yeah. I would recommend to everyone, you know, to number one, just use Chat GPT because it will be a clone of you that works better and faster. Um, use the free version, but you know, spring for the twenty dollars a month for the pro version and start working with some of these custom GPTs and start thinking about it from an ad tech context. And I think that's the best way to, I think, number one, you know, be steeped in some of the, the reality. And then number two, you're probably going to have a leg up on your competitors and on even your, your coworkers and understanding this stuff. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, I, I will add, uh, there is a architecture GPT. We have not published it yet. So I have imported about 100 hours of transcripts into GPT from architecture. There is an AI on our website that's kind of bad because I use a different vendor. It didn't really work. We're looking to migrate that so that you'll be able to subscribe to the architecture GPT, and it's incredibly useful for ad tech and martech questions. And so um, I will more to come on that is taking a little longer than I hope it would. Exactly. I mean, with people trying to you know understand things, imagine having Ari and all of the CEOs that uh, he's interviewed, we've interviewed over the course of the past year or so just like literally a text away so yeah it's it's pretty incredible um anyway. so i saw martin sorrell speak at the brand innovator summit brand innovators puts on a really good show it was very it's the first one i've been to and it was great and martin sir martin talked a little bit about ai and um, he didn't have a definitive sort of forecast there but he brought up the key issue which was that um the procurement departments think in terms of bodies uh you hire an agency and you pay them based on people and suddenly AI may change that equation. And so that's a really tricky problem. It's a good problem to have, like you're basically creating efficiencies, but it's a tricky problem to have for agencies and their contracts and their customer expectations. Uh, he also dropped one nugget, which was that he felt that looking at the global agency world, he's very, he's very globally oriented. Uh, he spoke a lot about China and Indonesia and places like that. But he said that Europe is the ground zero effectively for AI because Europe is the most difficult region for agencies because of languages and, and fragmentation and customers will only work in certain countries and inefficiencies. So that was his sort of mini prediction, I think, was that AI will hit the European agencies. That's fascinating. Shiv, 
had a tweet, something or along the lines of chat DSP, even ahead of this um this announcement. And I know it was a it was a throwaway, but I really think that there's an idea of bringing products that are at parity to market with massively reduced cost structures using AI, using small teams, and just being able to compete on the on the virtue of price. I think Shiv was onto something, even though he was kind of joking. Uh, but this is what I'm really thinking about, which is the number of PowerPoints I've seen from startups saying, we're going to use AI to automate trafficking, right? Automate the trafficking in DSPs or automate the optimization of DSPs. My immediate reaction is that that's a really small bore goal, right? Like, why does trafficking exist is a better question. You know, why, why do line items exist in the world of AI? Uh, because the whole point of line items is to kind of differentiate along different breaks in your plan. Uh, and that should all be eliminated AI. You really should be able to effectively just give the platform your objectives and get them uh, in a transparent way. In the past, there was always this break, like either you had transparency of price and operations, or it was totally non-transparent. But there, there's an opportunity to find a world where the price is transparent, but the operations don't need to be. The computer just tells you what to buy, but you know what you're buying. You, you know, you don't have to be in a blind ad network environment. And that's just one example. I think of places where there could be a lot of, uh, a lot of innovation and some big changes to the way the standard sort of DSP console might look and act. I agree. Before we get on to the news of the week, anything else from CES? Yeah, I think that it's, it's, it's great to see everybody, you know, it's a lot of the same people, some new people, some people, you know, who have dropped out of our industry are now on to new things outside of ad tech. That's always fun. Uh, people, you know, trying to try their hand at things that are more in the actual consumer electronics world. So that's kind of kind of fun. I, I think it was really hap- hopping and, uh, you know, it definitely are our businesses back. So, uh, yeah, so let's move on from CES and talk about the news of the week, we had a lot of news. I think last week was really light on news because I think everyone came back from the holidays and now we're full on. So let's get to it. Let's see. So you have you have your new Kubian. So we, we joke that I'm like tracking Kubian like the white whale. And now Eric, you're obsessed with the arena group. So we had uh, <laughs> um, we had Andrew Kraft on from the arena group about two or three weeks ago, and it seems like the ball keeps rolling downhill. Why don't you tell us what's going on with the arena group? Yeah, a, a lot. A lot of folks um, talked about that uh, that that episode. I think uh, people people love Andrew, and I wasn't really familiar with the arena group or you know what had happened to date. But for some reason, the the news just keeps coming, and you know perhaps just because I'm I'm not at CES, I've, I've been able to sort of develop this timeline. So. So in December, um, the five-hour energy guy, uh, last name is Bert Bargava, hates PowerPoints. He acquires a stake in Arena Group. You know, there's the AI controversy. He cleans out, Andrew's out, Ross is out, and he becomes the interim CEO. In early January, so I guess after the Andrew episode, Jim Heckman, who folks might remember, he was like, you know, always in the media ecosystem. He was a Yahoo exec when Ross Levinson was there. He teams up with Brock Pierce, who was a child actor. He was in um, The Mighty Ducks and you know, became, I think, a crypto billionaire. They teamed up to acquire the majority of the arena group via just buying stock because it's a public company. 
Jim is the former CEO, I think, of, of Arena Group. So I think he's got a real desire to, to get this thing back. Two days later, the five-hour energy guy steps down as the CEO. And there's talk of like the Arena Group missed a key like uh, licensing deal payment to Authentic Brands, who owns Sports Illustrated, and an interest payment to, uh, to, to a lender involved in the deal. So very quickly, this person that you know went in, leaned house, you know had the had the leadership is a couple of weeks later out completely, and there could be like an entire shuffling of the chessboard. Uh, the thing that's interesting, I think that you know I didn't really fully appreciate is authentic brands own Sports Illustrated. Okay, arena yeah, it's like a, is a, it's a license to Arena. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so they, they don't have much in terms of. IP just this ten year licensing deal. So I don't know what's going to happen, but all of a sudden now I'm 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 You're like, on it. Uh, but wait, this boy, is like real house. This is like Real Housewives for for me. <laughs> no, no. I mean, so Jim Heckman is currently the CEO, or is there no CEO? No, no. I don't think there's a CEO. I think there might be another acting CEO. Okay. This is where you know things might have might have shifted. They're trying to buy a controlling stake uh-huh. um, through just like public company stock purchases. Him and, and Brock. And, and why is the Brock child actor thing has me thrown off a little bit? It's just random that he's a child actor. It has nothing to do with the story. Uh, so far, it seems to okay. be random. Yeah, it seems, okay. seems to be like a, a, a good, capable capital partner. All right. That's fascinating, kind of. Um, <laughs> keep on it. Keep on it. Um, you know, related, uh, we didn't talk about, um, it's not going to be a good story, but I can't remember the name of the company. Oh, The uh, Messenger? The Messenger. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. we didn't talk about that. Mike and I had a separate podcast about that. Um, because the messenger, I'm going to just kind of summarize, uh, was this idea that you can create a media company that would be ad supported and would be middle of the road and cover the news the right way, which is like the most naive possible idea in 2023 that you could imagine. And lo and behold, they, they did a speed run through all the failing media strategies and are left currently effectively close to being out of money. And there's a PowerPoint going around of them trying to raise money, claiming that they're going to generate something like $40 million in ad revenue in 2024 off a base of like none. And it's kind of, it's kind of a fascinating tale of hubris because it's, it's effectively making all the media mistakes everyone learned over the last 10 years, but doing it very quickly. And they're about to pivot to video, of course. That's I don't know where the $40 million dollars comes from. Exactly. We don't have, I don't have any money. intelligent feedback yeah. on this. It's kind of a salacious, interesting story. Speaking of salacious, interesting story. Okay. This is my big one. This is my, uh, my fun one. So Alfonso and LG, so I have a lot of history here because Alfonso was one of the largest beeswax customers when they sold to LG. So I know the principles pretty well. So one of the first too, right? One of the first customers? Yeah. Yeah. They were early customers, very strong customers. They were really strong. We were, I I would speak to the CEO, um, you know, Raju and Ashish, the two founders. I would talk to them all the time. So let's put on our journalist hat for a moment. I've done no original reporting here. I have read a really good ad exchanger article. You should read the ad exchanger article. It is incredibly well reported. It has great details and quotes from the case. Last night, I was at the LG party. So after LG did this thing to my friends at Alfonso and lost this court case, I decided to eat some of their sushi. It was delicious. Thank you, LG, for having me at your party. I mentioned to the CMO of LG ads, Tony Marlowe, hey, man, too bad about the lawsuit, which we'll talk about in a moment. And he said, oh, you're not going to cover that on the podcast, are you? And I was like, hell yeah, I am. And so Tony said <laughs> to me, <laughs> you know, we're you know, a couple drinks in, eating our sushi. 
Tony says, oh, uh, let me get back to you. He runs out, talks to his PR people, comes back to me and says, oh, well, we really want to, you know, set the record straight about this. But it was late at night. And he's like, I'm not going to do it here at the party. So I said, okay, well, call me tomorrow, like meeting today while we're recording this. So it is very possible that Tony will, at some point between now and when we publish this, give me his point of view, in which case I will append it at the end of this podcast. But as of this morning, we have not heard from LG. Okay, here's the story. Long, that was a very long introduction. Because journalism is pedantic. That's the nature of journalism. Alfonso was an independent ad tech company, very similar to Samba TV, who they sued, by the way. So Samba and Alfonso were rivals. They basically use ACR to figure out what you're watching on TV and then sell the data or run an ad network. Great. They sold 50.1% of their business to LG. And as part of that, really, that was the formation of LG ads. And the deal was really complicated and allowed the Alfonso shareholders to get certain payments and also to potentially spin out the company or have the other 49% get acquired by LG at certain pricing. So it was a complicated deal, but it was sort of independently operating within LG. There was a lot of conflict between the Alfonso founders and the LG people. LG is a Korean company, conservative. The Alfonso founders are a little bit wild men. I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> What then happened? That's where that's where you need to go to the article um, in Ad Exchanger because you <laughs> there's know, some very funny emails. <laughs> emails are emails are written in ink, my friends, um, and uh, they see the light of day during times like this. So basically, about a year ago, we I think we covered this on the pod. The founders of of Alfonso were kicked out, summarily removed from LG. A lot of bad feelings. All right, no explanation why they were just removed. Lawsuit ensues. Lawsuit was settled. The judge found in favor of the Alfonso guys, and this is what the article's about. And in the lawsuit, the details are pretty salacious in that the lawsuit has documents where the executives of LG, including the general counsel of LG, were planning a very specific, and the word coup is used, um, a very specific coup against the Alfonso founders to remove them, effectively to kick them off the board, to put in their own CEO, then kick the remaining people off the board. So that LG would get total control of Alfonso, and then they would effectively lowball the Alfonso founders for the remainder of their stock well below the value. And that was the allegation. The judge found in favor of the Alfonso people and gave the Alfonso investors re-control over the board, effectively. So this is LG ads, which now is control will be controlled by the founders of Alfonso, if that's confusing enough. And what happens next is potentially that Alfonso will have LG over a barrel to some extent, will get whatever payment they deserve, or they could potentially take control over it and spin it out. So fascinating and salacious and like makes every entrepreneur's blood boil to read these documents about how the LG people allegedly really screwed over the fact. Yeah. I, again, recommend everybody read the article. Um, the, why? Why would this happen? Well, allegedly, the Alfonso business, which you know, create was basically the the formation of LG Ads. So the LG Ads business over the course of the past couple of years since the acquisition took off like a rocket ship. And I think it's like you know, again, don't quote me. This might be misinformation, but I think it's like a five hundred million dollar business. So oh the valuation, God, really? the valuation on Alfonso um, is going to be way, way higher, both in terms of just you know the size of the business and the growth rate. And the fact that it's in CTV, so um, so this is going to be interesting. But the founders they left a year ago, so you know, again, to your point, do they 
take control and run this thing again is is a as I think a, a real question. Like I would assume they've moved on in lots of ways. Do they want to do this again? Yeah, the sound. The I know for a fact. I don't think I'm disclosing anything. The founders have a new startup, unrelated. Um, so uh, they're busy. I don't know what they want to do. Um, and uh, one other data point is they sold that fifty point one percent for eighty million dollars. So that gives you a sense. So it's a one hundred sixty. 160 market value for the whole company when it was sold like two years ago. So the reason why, the one question that came up for me is why would they do this weird, weird, complicated deal? And I think, and Eric, you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but the 50.1 threshold is the threshold at which you can declare the revenue as being above the line uh, as a company. So if you want to claim the revenue from a, from a minority investment or a partial investment, it has to be over 50. That's my impression as well. Yeah, so LG wanted the revenue. They saw it growing. They wanted the ad group to show rising revenue, but the founders didn't want to sell out entirely. They thought there was a lot of upside. So that's why this complex structure probably existed. This is the must read of the week. You have to read the Ad Exchanger article um, about about this. You can just Google, you know, Alfonso and Ad Exchanger, you'll find it. If Tony gets back to me promptly, I will talk, give you his side of the story. Otherwise, maybe we'll cover it next week. And thank you for the sushi, Tony. It was awesome. So let's move on. Markitecture is in the middle of things. Wow. A year yeah. later, man. Oof. So um, we talked about video app, which is new. There was breaking news just a minute ago. So I saw this tweet right before we joined to record this, which was um, Digiday has a new CEO. So Nick Freeze has moved to chairman. David Amrani will be the new CEO. David was the COO. I've worked with David and Nick because we have a partnership with Architecture. Um, so congratulations to both of them. I don't have much other comment there except that Nick's been doing this since 2008, quite a long way, and he's diversified to today. There's fashion, has a bunch of other publications, so good for him. Dave Morgan also, I, I guess that's not in our show notes, but Dave Morgan also uh, is no longer CEO. He, um, he is more operational role after many, many years running Simulmania as CEO. Uh, he probably will have more time to focus on his uh, running <laughs> or something along those lines, but he's still very involved. I think he, he kind of moved down to CEO or something like that. Or was it kicked upstairs to exec chair? No, I think in the case of Dave, he's still going to be very involved. He's not a chair, uh, but Got I don't it. have the okay, details. Okay, so just working on, on product. Yeah. Okay, cool. Awesome. Good for Dave. Congrats. It was another awesome episode. All right. What do you want to talk about next? Amazon video? Yeah. Yeah. So there was a, a, a piece that came out this week, um, you know, it basically highlights that Amazon video, which we talked about last week in that, you know, they're making it like fully ad supported unless you pay $2.99 a month, is also aggressively uh, looking to bring um, CPMs to market that are far less than the competitive set. So According to this piece, which was in uh, Insider Intelligence, um, so part of BI, they're planning on uh, having you know basically a thirty dollars CPM for CTV versus you know just to give you some idea, Netflix and Disney going to market at fifty. So they're going after it. They're they're really being aggressive. I think one of the things that was interesting that I saw in that piece was they said that. Uh, there's a you know subscriber base for Prime Video of 290 million people globally, and I was like, that's that's huge, that's gigantic, and I thought that meant you know like the total Prime subscriber base, not just Prime Video. 
But in all the research that I did, like that seems to be the number for Prime Video, which is immense. But then if you like look at Netflix, it might make sense because Netflix has 250 million subscribers of which 225 or so based on their their recent announcement of 25 million uh, advertising based subs um, were uh, were Netflix subscribers. So these are yeah. really big user bases. And this is big why numbers. like, you know, CTV is such an attractive space. It's just gigantic. Yeah, it is. And it's getting bigger. I think the sports uh, is another part because Amazon Prime uh, having Thursday Night Football was a big boost to their subscriber base. If those economics work, you have to imagine they'll keep acquiring more sports and that will generate more viewership and it's a positive feedback loop. Um, they also announced a big hire yesterday. So Amazon Video hired a guy named uh, Jeremy Helfand to be the VP of advertising for Prime Video. He was formerly at Hulu and Disney. So um, so that is another indication they're very serious about this whole thing. Here's here's my anecdote. I'll, I'll leave the the guilty party unnamed, but I was uh, I ran into a fellow who is a senior exec in, in Amazon's ad business on the product side. And he gave me the most cliched complaint ever, which was, uh, you know, we're trying to build this product and all these agencies, they have all these weird requirements around workflow and naming conventions and all this stuff. And I just laughed in his face and I said, you're building a walled garden and you're complaining that you have to reproduce all the all the stuff that all the real platforms built. I have zero sympathy for you. <laughs> if you, if you want, so you know, workflow organized agencies, let the trade desk bid on your inventory. It's very simple. But no, you want everyone yeah. to log in your system, you got to build every single stupid feature agencies want. So congratulations yeah. on your career decision. Yeah. Jeremy Helfen is great. Um, I've uh, I've watched him from afar and, you know, some, somewhat acquainted with him for, for many years now. He's He's been in like video ad tech for about as long as it's it's been in existence. And then, so do Disney and Netflix start to respond accordingly and get aggressive on price? I don't see how they can't, right? I think they have to. Yeah, I, I think uh, with Netflix, they came out at $65 through the Microsoft duration yeah. that was published figure. Um, and I think it's pretty widely understood that was unrealistic. So I think they've been coming off of that. I think it's also an inventory question. I think probably Prime is going to have a lot more inventory than than Netflix and Disney. So Netflix, Disney maybe could keep charging more for the for the smaller footprint and sell out. There's also geography, you know, probably. Some of the, like Netflix is a very global company. So you have to have very different pricing in different parts of the world. Very true. So uh, we knew this was coming, but it's the first first time it's been in the press, which is, um, you know, deep fakes for advertising. Uh, the New York Times reported a case of where Taylor Swift's voice was used to sell uh, Le Creuset cookware, and she had nothing to do with that. And actually, Le Creuset had nothing to do with that. It was a post. Yeah. I, I'm not sure this is newsworthy, except it because we all knew it was coming, but it was like the first instance of this popping up in, in the mainstream press. Um, it's going to be really hard, really, really hard for platforms to prevent imagery and videos being used improperly i mean i know on my x feed uh i still use x twitter i'm sorry to call it x so i guess they won that battle on my x feed like um the number of ads that use celebrities that shouldn't be is is almost 100 yeah. percent. yeah there's there's the the new one which is um and perhaps i'm being targeted based on my own demographics of like a weight loss ad have you seen this where it's like celebrities that lost weight like in the 80s uh -huh. They basically like put the before and after on that one. Um, and it's, you know, like Oprah and Drew Carey and all these people that, you know, probably don't work with this, you know, un unknown startup who's 
who's hacking ads in the in the X feed. So uh, it's absolutely a, a real problem. And I think as these tools just get easier to use and proliferate, it's impossible to scale. I think a um, QC team, you know, using people versus AI, this is only going to become like I think a bigger issue. I mean, I don't really know how they're going to stop it. I mean, basically, they the big platforms have always done some level of creative review, but but it's difficult for them to get every single variation on the stuff. Yeah, especially when you have millions of customers. Yeah, millions of customers, sometimes uploading thousands of ads at a time. Times are hard. <laughs> More opportunity, maybe. Yeah. Were you very angry because it was Taylor Swift? Uh, no, I bought a couple pans. I was upset about that, you know. Um, you know, I'm a big Swifty. I'm also a big Lexus. That's, that's why it was actually my dream campaign. <laughs> Violated. Um, uh- <laughs> All right, more in the CTV business. So Philips is now joining uh, their competitors as launching an ads business. As we talked about earlier, LG obviously has one, and Vizio has one, and Samsung has one. So Philips, I'm, I'm not really sure what Philips market share is in their physical TV business, but they're jumping in. Um, and uh, more indication that if you have any grasp on a consumer's TV habits, you can monetize that in various ways. Yeah, I think that's right. We're an investor in telly. Which is, you know, uh, it's the only hardware investment that we have within within the fund. They were making a bunch of noise because um, they were experimenting with using AI for um for for their unit. And um, yeah, it seems to be like there's a competition uh, for you know just the hardware itself because that gives you the opportunity to you know kind of own the the ad experience. But I think Philips is probably down on the list in terms of just number of units sold globally. Yeah, exactly. Yahoo um, has announced that they're allowing their advertisers on the DSP, I think it's on the DSP, it wasn't clear if it was on the DSP or owned and operated, to do side-by-side tests of uh, cookies versus new IDs. So I thought that was kind of interesting. They say that more than 90% of the same results could be achieved with a effectively a live item running cookies versus a live item running um, some combination of their connected ID and other techniques they have in their tech platform. Um, so I think we're going to see a lot more of these kind of announcements. Um, this announcement, if you read between the lines, is effectively saying, like, you know, don't worry, we're going to be fine. Cookies are going away, but you know, we have special sauce. Yahoo having the login data is their kind of bulwark against the cookie deletion. We just have to keep watching the space. I think. I agree. I feel like we forget about Yahoo. Um, <laughs> this might be the first mention of Yahoo ever on the Marketecture podcast. It's no longer a public company, so it's unclear how big of a business it is. I mean, it's always been, you know, these uh, e-marketer insider intelligence, um, you know, like largest ad sellers, like it's always in the top 10. But I do wonder what the state of Yahoo's ad biz is um, because, again, I don't know how, what the actual monthly usage of their email, which I think is the basis of of their ID, um, is versus like Google, but, you know, it's. 200 million people. Uh, yeah, so there's a I, real, I there's a real know, asset there. I don't know much about Yahoo's Odo business, which is, I think, the larger portion of their business. But I will say the Yahoo DSP was a pretty tough competitor in the US uh, versus Beeswax when we're, uh, when we're selling DSP services. I would say they're absolutely the, in the top five DSPs. Uh, if you think the top three are obvious, which is Google, Amazon, Trade Desk. Next two, probably Yahoo and Beeswax. In terms of media spend, you know, so it's a pretty pretty substantial piece of the overall marketplace. 
Uh, last story, uh, Symbiosis raises $9 million. This is also an ad exchanger. So Symbiosis is a retail media play that allows retailers and brands to sort of do cooperative marketing. So they may share the expense of the ads uh, to drive traffic to the retailers. Well, it's like co-op dollars. If you want to drive someone to a high margin product on your retailer, um, maybe the money has to be split somehow between the brand and the retailer. I think it's notable because um, John Updike, who was the founder of Hook Logic, uh, is an investor, and Hook Logic is sort of the OG of retail media. Also, nine million dollar raise in this environment's a tough one. What What are your thinking here, Eric? Yeah, it was impressive. Um, seems to be a fairly complex product, and it's starting with search and social, which I think is interesting because, from my impression, there's you know less heat there's less activity in search and social versus like programmatic display so i think it's um i think it's interesting um but the co-op stuff always tends to be fairly complex in practice in terms of splits attribution payments everything like that but yeah to your point jonathan um he's um he was day one retail media so uh when he gets involved in something it's it's interesting i also talked to jonathan a couple months ago and one of his other big investments is like a butcher like he's a he, he lives in Detroit, I think, and I may be mangling the story, but he like he he invested in a meat purveyor in downtown Detroit that's like you know very uh, high end and um, trying to have a bistro and stuff like that. So if you're if you're hungry in Detroit, John will hook you up with a reservation. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, that's our show. Um, I do want to. Uh, I forgot one other thing. Highlight CS, which was I saw Mark Cuban speak at Brand Innovators, and that guy is so impressive and. So amazing, and uh, I am hoping he runs for office. I'm on the Mark Cuban train. I will uh, go door to door with his pamphlets, trying to get him in whatever office he wants to run for. Do you think he's gonna? Yeah, I think he talks. I mean, like he's a selling assets, right? He sold he's his interest in the Mavs. Like, I mean, again, yeah, I've heard that value, sports val- team valuations, um, you know, have peaked. So perhaps he's like, you know, kind of classic broadcast.com selling at the at the right moment doing it again with the sports team but those are big boy moves that you make when you're when you're up to something yeah i think he's definitely up to something uh i think he spoke at this conference as a brand conference and 90 percent of his content was political in nature he gave his like closing remarks which were was like the best political speech i've ever heard about like the future of america is bright our children are bright we have a great great change in our society. We want the better for our children and for the world. It was like amazing. I, I don't think he's running this year. I think he's getting involved in politics this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but either governor of Texas or president of 2028, I, I would be, I'd be surprised if he doesn't do so. Wow. That's amazing. I'm a, I'm a big fan. So I'm, I'm excited to hear that. Yeah. I, I'd be really excited if he did that. So that's the show. It was a great time. CS. If I, if I saw you and didn't know who you were, I'm sorry. It's just me. I still love you. It's not <laughs> it's not you, it's me. <laughs> We're getting older. <laughs> Eric, you have to come out next year. We'll uh we'll do this together. I didn't do any man on the street interviews left we'll do that if possible. And uh I'm open to next year. I'm open to it. Awesome. Thanks everybody. Thank you everybody. Bye. Thank you for subscribing to Marketecture. New interviews are added every week at marketecture.tv and your favorite podcasting app.